1: welcome it is verdict with senator ted cruz ben ferguson with you let's start with a victory senator the texas bar application has actually added a couple of questions that deal with free speech and incivility, this in wake of what happened at Stanford Law School. And this is because of a letter that you wrote. Uh, This is something that I would argue every state in America should be modeling after what the Texas Bar application is doing with adding these basic questions.
2: Well, Ben, you're right. We've had a big victory in the last week for free speech. Uh, everyone who listens to Verdict uh, was appalled, and and we discussed at length uh, what happened at Stanford Law School, where Fifth Circuit Federal Court of Appeals Judge Kyle Duncan went to give a speech on campus at Stanford Law School, and and a group of law students uh, screamed him down, cursing, cursing profanities, yelled, were were just they they shouted him down and prevented him from speaking, and and. Some of the explicit profanities they yelled at at him, I, I, I've never in my life seen a federal judge treated the, the way these Stanford law students that did. Then, of course, the associate dean for diversity, equity, and inclusion came in, and, and the judge understandably appealed to the dean, to the administration for help enforcing Stanford's free speech policy. And the dean proceeded to side with the mob, to side with the people screaming down the judge... And she read from a seven-minute prepared lecture attacking the judge. In the wake of that, uh, across the country, people were rightly horrified. I did two things. Number one, I wrote to the president of Stanford and the dean of the Stanford Law School calling on Stanford to fire the dean and to discipline the students. And we ended up getting a meaningful victory in that regard. That dean uh, is on leave. Uh, we don't know if she's ultimately going to be fired, but astonishingly enough, Stanford stepped forward, condemned what the dean did, said it violated their policy, and put her on leave. That's a big deal. That is a victory. But then a second victory that I think is, is, is even more significant. A month ago, I sent a letter to the Texas State and in particular to Chief Justice Nathan Hecht of the Texas Supreme Court. I, I know Chief Justice Hecht very well, I've argued in front of the Texas Supreme Court and in front of Chief Justice Hecht many, many times. The letter I sent to the Texas bar, I urged the bar to do something about it. Anyone who's a member of the bar, you have to take a bar exam. In Texas, it's three days long, uh, and it's extensive. It deals with knowledge of the law, knowledge of the law generally, knowledge of Texas law in particular, if you're going to be an attorney in the state of Texas. So, for example, there, there are questions on the Texas bar about oil and gas law, which I suspect if you take the New York bar, you don't get questions about oil and gas law because they don't actually let you drill for oil and gas. Well, in Texas, you have to know at least something about it if you're going to be a member of the Texas bar. But there is also, you take an ethics exam, and there is also an element of every bar exam, which is character- and fitness to practice law. And, and the notion is, if you're going to be an attorney, if you're going to represent clients, if you're going to be able to go before court and represent clients, you have to have sound character, you have to be fit to practice law. And so what I asked a month ago of Chief Justice Hecht, I'll, I'll read a paragraph from the letter I sent him. I would ask that the Texas Board of Bar Examiners, in discharging their duties of assessing the character and fitness of prospective bar applicants take particular care with students who have graduated from Stanford Law in class years 2023, 2024, or 2025. Specifically, I suggest that students graduating from those years be made to answer in writing whether they participated in the shameful harassment of Judge Duncan on March 9, 2023. And then I went on to say I would leave it to the considered judgment of the Texas Supreme Court and the Texas Board of Bar Examiners as to what the proper remedy should be for any students who answer in the affirmative. Well, last week I got a letter back from Chief Justice Hecht. And and it is a terrific letter, is a terrific response. Uh, Let me tell you what Chief Justice Hecht said, and I'm going to read it to you. Dear Senator Cruz, thank you for your letter of March 16th. 2023, I am, of course, very familiar with the disruption of Judge Kyle Duncan's invited presentation at Stanford Law School, as well as, I'm sorry to have to say, similar occurrences at Yale Law School. Um, It goes on to say, I'm going to skip a little bit of it, but it goes on to say the board has historically relied on law schools to report disciplinary matters that should be considered in determining an applicant's character and fitness for admission to the Texas bar. School reactions to recent violations of free speech policies suggests that reliance is not justified. The board is planning to add questions to the bar application, to inquire of applicants directly concerning incivility and violations of school policies. Texas lawyers are expected to adhere to the Texas lawyers' creed, promising to treat counsel, opposing parties, the court, and members of court staff, with courtesy and civility. The admissions process should examine whether applicants can be expected to fulfill this promise. I got to say, Ben, that's a big damn deal. If there are Stanford students in that room who were screaming and cursing and thinking that you can behave as as, as a hooligan, as an Antifa rioter, and at the same time be... be, uh, admitted as a member of the bar, this has got to make them think twice. And, and, and I hope that, that that other bars follow suit. The well, behavior of those students was utterly unacceptable for anyone who wants to be a lawyer. And so I congratulate Chief Justice Hecht. He, he did exactly the right thing. And this is meaningful in terms of a victory for free speech.
1: How many other states do you think could actually look at this and go, oh, Wow, we should do the exact same thing. There are a lot of of states that have different universities. A lot of states that dealt with uh, with with protests on college campuses. We see it almost weekly now, where conservative speakers are are attacked and even assaulted, as we saw uh, one conservative the swimmer who was attacked uh, just yeah. last week. We we witnessed this happen, and, and there's got to be a higher standard, as you said, for those practicing law that are going to be in our courts. Uh, and not treating people this way do you believe that other states will look at this and say what texas just did this was such a big victory for for not just free speech but free speech and decorum for everyone this is saying it's unacceptable no matter who's doing it how how quickly do you think others could jump on board
2: You know, I think it's likely that you will see other states follow suit. I think it is more likely in red states than blue states. Uh, So Florida is a natural place to think about that could follow suit, and Florida is a big deal. Uh, Look, Texas has 30 million people. We have nearly 10 percent of the population of the United States. I guarantee you there are Stanford law students who hoped and intended to practice law in the state of Texas. I don't know if any of them were in that room harassing and screaming at Judge Duncan. Um, There are other states. I mean, the states that would be most significant would be the California State Bar or the New York State Bar because you've got a ton of Stanford Law graduates planning to practice either in California or New York. I don't know if they they would follow suit. I'm skeptical that they would given the overall politics of those two states, but I will note Stanford Law School, to the astonishment of a lot of us, uh, behaved a lot better than Yale Law School did. Stanford Law School in particular suspended the dean, unequivocally condemned the behavior of the students, and made clear that it violated their free speech policy. And, and, and let me be clear, j- just to engage with, with, with some of the trolls that will say, well, gosh, if you're punishing people for screaming and cursing and shouting down a federal judge, that's anti-free speech. No, no, it's not you have every right to engage in speech. Those, those students would have been perfectly justified to show up, to be outside with placards, to be making their views known. What you don't have a right to do is silence the speech of another. That's what the Supreme Court has called a heckler's veto. You don't have the right to shout down and silence another speaker. And, and part of it is, you're violating not only the free speech rights of the speaker, you're violating the free speech rights of the other students who want to listen to that speaker. And so, had the Stanford Law students stood outside and protested in a way that did not disrupt the event, that would have been entirely appropriate. But their objective was to use force to shout down and make the judge's speech impossible. That is directly antithetical to free speech. And I would note it is even worse when you are dealing with a federal appellate judge. So at Yale Law School, they did that to Kirsten Wagoner, who's an attorney who had argued and won a major case at the Supreme Court. That was bad, but it is qualitatively different to do so to a sitting federal appellate judge. I'll tell you this. I've been a, a member of the bar for a couple of decades now. If you did what they did in that classroom in any courtroom in America, you better have your toothbrush with you because you would be found in contempt they would put handcuffs on you and they would put you in jail. You don't get to speak to a judge that way. Even if you don't like the judge, even if you disagree with the judge's ruling, our system is based upon some modicum of civility and sadly those Stanford law students seem not to have learned that to have learned the opposite with the encouragement of the DEI dean but Kudos to the Texas State Bar for setting an example, an example that I hope other bars follow. And in particular, Florida should be the next bar to act because Florida, a lot of those students want to go to Florida too. And doing this will be a real deterrence to the next time this is happening. If you're a law student, you're a lefty, you're a Marxist, you're going to think twice about, well, wait a second, I'd like to be able to admit, be admitted to the bar so maybe I won't shout down a speaker who comes to campus.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a big victory, Senator, like you said, uh, and one that hopefully will go viral all over the country. I want to also ask you about another
2: uh, and, and, issue. And, and Ben, part of the reason for emphasizing Florida, if I'm correct, there's an election happening next year with with two candidates out of the state of Florida. You are correct, sir. So, so I just think it's a good opportunity. Texas is leading right now. Florida ought to lead as well i love it
1: great great point there and and we'll see and keep everybody updated on this as hopefully this is something that goes viral uh and is good for the entire country when there is rules and also uh when you cannot intimidate federal judges this way it holds lawyers to a high standard which they should be held to i want to move to another issue senator everybody's thinking about taxes uh whether you paid them whether you're waiting on the refund tax day is is tomorrow and that means that there are a lot of people that are sitting here going, and I'm re- am I really getting my money's worth out of the government, and am I really getting my money's worth uh, out of the IRS when I pay this tax liability each and every year? It makes me angry when I see how big the check is, and then I think, what did I not get in return? Before we get into some news about what Democrats want to do in expanding the irs let me tell you about our friends over at chalk if you're a guy and you feel like you're just losing a little bit of your edge you feel like you've got weakness and complacency over strength and vitality you feel like you're just not the way you used to be then you need to check out chalk chalk is here to help real american men take back their right to proudly maximize their masculinity by boosting testosterone levels up to 20 percent over 90 days Now, I've been taking Chalk now for a couple of months. I can tell you it works. It's manufactured right here in the USA. Chalk's natural herbal supplements are clinically proven to have game-changing effects on your energy, your focus, your mood. So maximize your masculinity today. Go to ChalkCHOQ.com. I've been taking the male vitality stack, all right? You check it out, ChalkCHOQ.com. Use the code BEN. For 35% off any Chalk subscription for life. C-H-O-Q dot com, promo code Ben, 35% off, and you can cancel, obviously, at any time.
3: Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com news and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com news. Identity theft protection starts here.
1: more details senator let's deal with the irs for a second there are two headlines uh, that that caught our eye irs 80 billion uh news dump raises some serious questions 48 days after a deadline the biden administration says the irs will release some details of its 80 billion and new taxpayer funding and this on top of the fact we're now hearing that the irs is planning to hire 30,000 new employees over the next two years. Now, I I want you to explain, is this on top of the 87 they already wanted, or is this 30 uh, because they don't get the 87,000 that they wanted? Explain this for everybody.
2: Well, no, unfortunately, this is the first installment of the 87,000. So we we all recall how last year uh, the Democrats, when they still had control of both houses of Congress, they rammed through their Orwellian-named Inflation Reduction Act, which did nothing to uh, reduce inflation and in fact increased inflation by spending trillions of dollars and imposing billions of taxes on things like oil and gas, which drove up the cost of gasoline at the pump. One of the elements of that multi-trillion dollar bill was $80 billion in new funds for the IRS to hire 87,000 new employees. Well, Right before Good Friday and Easter, the IRS released the news. They did it as a news dump going into the holiday because they didn't want people to pay attention to it, uh, that they are right now hiring the first 30,000 of those employees. 10,000 of them are being hired in the current fiscal year, and in fiscal year 2024, they're planning to double that with 27,000 new hires. Now, 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 what does that mean? Well, let's, let's go through... A, a lot of different elements. The sh- long and short of it is it means a whole bunch more IRS employees there to harass you, to harass citizens, to harass small businesses, to harass and target the political enemies of the, uh, of the Biden White House. But, but let's go through some details. Number one, you know, the IRS is big on deadlines. Well, the statute actually said that they had to release the details for how they were going to spend the $80 billion no later than February seventeenth, 2023. Now, I don't have my calendar in front of me, but I'm pretty sure it's not February seventeenth, 2023. They're, in fact, 48 days late. If you or I tried that with the IRS, we'd face penalties. The IRS, 48 days late, no big deal. That's just business as usual. What are they doing with this money? Well, the Democrats' talking point is that This is for taxpayer services. It's to make the IRS nicer. I don't know. When you file your return, maybe they send a masseuse to do a foot massage. You know, it's just taxpayer (laughs) services. Yeah. Well, let's have some top lines. For every $1 that is being spent on, quote, taxpayer services, $14 is being spent on new IRS enforcement. Forty five point six billion dollars is going to tax enforcement, while three point one eight billion is going to taxpayer services. So when they claim this is to make the IRS more warm and fuzzy, they ain't telling the truth.
1: You you look at the IRS and just some of the other headlines that we've seen recently, Uh, we saw Matt Taibbi who was testifying before Congress. All of a yes. sudden, he gets bothered the same exact day uh, with, with, with IRS coming, coming knocking. Uh, you can go back to Lois Lerner harassing conservatives, Christians, pro uh, our anti-abortion groups, Tea Party groups. We've seen that there. But you had, I mean, this recently one was, I think, even more shocking, was the fact that the IRS was visiting a journalist's home the same days before Congress and, and that just screams abuse of power uh, and weaponizing of the IRS. And now they want more, 30,000 more employees that could easily be used to do this to many other good Americans.
2: Look, the good news is they're not very good at this. They're so clottish. They're so obvious when they target their political opponents. They do so in a way that is obvious. Matt Taibbi is, is actually a left-leaning liberal journalist who made a in free speech. <laughs> he well made, but, he
1: made a flawed mistake right he actually did some journalism
2: uh, it it he, he has told the truth and in particular he has courageously reported on the twitter files and on big tech getting in bed with the government engaging in censorship and i gotta say taivi has been uh, i think a little bit astonished i've met him only once i met him on the day of his testimony uh, i don't know him personally Uh, But I suspect that that going into this, I mean, he was a man of the left. I suspect he he had some real skepticism towards conservatives and and assumed Democrats would be more welcoming of journalism and free speech. I got to say, I, I think those assumptions were severely disabused. The Democrats in the House before whom he testified attacked him relentlessly because he dared speak about big tech censorship and big tech doing it. At the behest of government, the Biden White House, the FBI, the CIA, the Department of Justice, but the IRS steps in under Biden and shamelessly they send IRS employees to his home literally the same day he's testifying in front of Congress. You know, if they'd waited a week, it wouldn't have seemed that obvious, but these guys are bad at their jobs. They're so obvious that they come in and just beat on the door as he's testifying. And, and, and by the way, I'll note, all right, l- let me ask you a question, a fairly amazing question. Sure. In the, in the year 2022, what percentage of IRS employees do you think physically set foot in the office in the entire year 2022? <laughs>
1: I, I the scary part is I'm going to go with like 30% only because I know the quality of government work and I know what they were able to get away with in the name of COVID.
2: Well, I, I'll say this. You, you may be even slightly more pessimistic than the IRS uh, should be.
1: <laughs> so
2: the then hot head of the IRS, Charles Reddig, told Congress in 2022 that 53% of IRS employees – never set foot into an office. So doing some math, presumably that means 47% did set foot in an office. It's not clear they were there a day or two or what they were there. Uh, And I got to tell you, when the Democrats were ramming this terrible legislation through the, the misnamed Inflation Reduction Act, my colleague Susan Collins, senator from Maine, a Republican, but a very liberal Republican, she had an amendment that I thought was a terrific amendment. That said, before you can spend the $80 billion in new funds, the IRS needs to do a public accounting of how many of its his employees are actually showing up at work. We voted on it. It was a straight party line vote. The Democrats all said, nope, nope, we don't expect government employees to show up to work. Not a problem. They don't have to come.
1: It's incredible because the job is you're supposed to have to go to work, right? There's zero accountability if you're getting to phone it in.
2: Uh, look, that's exactly right, and and so, you know, and and by the way, this uh, the the eighty-seven thousand new IRS employees, which is doubling the size of the agency. Uh, it's designed, among other things, to put cash directly in the pockets of. Democrats in Congress in the past decade, the IRS union has given six hundred and one thousand seven hundred and fifty nine dollars in PAC funding to Democrat Party committees. Wow. In 2022, what percentage of the PAC funding from the IRS employee unions do you think went to Democrats?
1: I would say seventy five plus percent easy.
2: One hundred percent.
1: Really? That they're, they're not even trying to hide the, how biased they are. They're not even trying to act like, oh, we'll give a little bit over
2: here. 100%. They couldn't find one wobbly Republican. They couldn't find 100% of PAC funding to Democrats in the 2022 cycle. 100% of its PAC funding went to Democrats. And so when Democrats dump $80 billion in new cash into the IRS, magic upon magic... Hundreds of thousands of that dollars, if not millions of those dollars, come right back in campaign checks, which may explain why Democrat senators don't care at all if the IRS employees show up at work or not. The only good thing is, if they're not at work, maybe they'll be less effective in harassing citizens and small businesses. But be clear, their objective is to harass and target and attack you if you are perceived to be a political enemy of this regime,
1: incredible. And the scary part is, they're like you said, they're just trying to explode the size of the irs and i think it's pretty clear to weaponize it and make sure that they can keep hard working americans down in the process and they don't even have to go to the office to do it which is also a scary idea as well uh, i want to also tell everybody real quick about augusta precious metals if you are getting close to retirement maybe you're in retirement and you've saved a hundred thousand dollars or more my friends at augusta precious metals they want to talk to you about protecting your hard-earned dollars Your very hard-earned dollars in gold and silver. You can learn how a gold IRA can actually help diversify and protect you. We've seen what's been going on with the banks. We've seen what's going on with interest rates. We've seen what's happening with Wall Street. If it's been stressing you out, you're not the only one. And that's why you should call Augusta Precious Metal. Here's the other cool thing. If you call them, they're actually going to pay you in pure gold. Yeah, just to learn how a gold IRA can protect you. That's a big deal, a pure gold coin for free. So reach out to Augusta Precious Metals today and get started with gold. Don't let the bank failures get you down. Get this free gold and get some peace of mind. The 4, gold IRA, 877 the number 4, Gold IRA, 877-4, seven seven—the number Gold IRA, or online at AugustaPreciousMetals.com slash verdict, that's AugustaPreciousMetals.com. Senator, I want to get to something else also here that's interesting. And let's talk about uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center. You had an op-ed this week calling them out uh, and the double standard of their their self-serving nature. And it, it comes down to really two of their lawyers, one of them that had actual criminal past issues And yet the Southern Poverty Law Center has done nothing to rein in their own out-of-control individuals within their organization.
2: So the Southern Poverty Law Center is a radical left-wing organization. It is virulently hateful, and it is hard, hard left. Now, you might say, oh, come on, those adjectives are strong. What are they, like Antifa terrorist or something? Well, as it so happens, a lawyer who works at the Southern Poverty Law Center, his name is Thomas Webb Jurgens, was recently charged for being an Antifa terrorist and for his direct involvement in a violent riot against the police in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, all right, you're ostensibly a legal organization. One of your lawyers gets charged with being a terrorist. You would think at a minimum you'd back away and say, well, well, okay, we're not actually a terrorist organization. Nope. A- SPLC said, great, we stand by our lawyer. A- a- and I'm going to commend them for one thing, truth in advertising. They're admitting what it is they believe. Um, and in fact, within hours of Juergen's arrest— the SPLC released a statement and it didn't condemn the violence against the police officers that took place. Instead it denounced Jurgens' arrest as quote, and I'm quoting him here, part of ongoing state repression and violence and urged not that the violence against police officers end, but instead a de-escalation of violence against black, brown and indigenous communities. Um, that's who they are. Now, who have they been in the past? In the past, so they put out every year a, a, a hate list where they identify hate groups, and by hate groups, they mean you, they mean conservatives, they mean Christians, that they mean any people of faith that, that, that take their faith seriously. So among others, that, that they listed the Family Research Council as a hate group, and by the way, An angry, violent leftist took the Southern Poverty uh, Legal Center's list of hate groups and went as a gunman and opened fire trying to murder people at the Family Research Council. And heroically, a security guard um, risked his life and stopped that violent attack. That's who the SPLC is. Now, let me tell you the most amazing thing. You know who they also are? A source... the Biden administration for federal appellate judges. And in particular, Joe Biden has nominated Nancy Abudu, who is the director for strategic litigation for the SPLC to be a federal court of appeals judge for the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit. Now, I got to say, this is amazing when they are selecting as their nominees to be federal appellate judges, senior leaders from radical racist, hateful groups that embrace Antifa terrorism. And, and I can tell you in the Senate Judiciary Committee, when Abudu was before our committee, I questioned her about this. She refused to, to disclaim, to denounce, to distance herself in any way whatsoever with the shameful and disgraceful record the Senate is expected fairly soon to, to vote on on Nancy Abudu's confirmation, and I very much hope that we don't put left wing partisan radicals on the Federal Court of Appeals. Well,
1: what what are your 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 gut instincts on this? Are there enough um, Democrats that you serve with that maybe are moderate or or just see this as not the right job to put a radical activist on the on the on the, the, the these you know real uh, not just positions but they have real consequences these positions they're putting them in for everyday americans who may have to see themselves or a case that involves them go before one of these judges
2: well if past is prologue the answer to that is no uh joe biden has been president over two years now almost two and a half years uh in that time do you want to know how many democrats have voted against any Biden judge.
1: I'm going to go with one to zero.
2: Um, one was high. Wow. The number is zero. Not a single Democrat has voted against a single Biden judge in the Senate Judiciary Committee. They rubber stamp Every left wing radical, one after the other, after the other.
1: Is that why they're getting more radical, by the way, that they're just saying at this point they feel like they can they can they no longer have to have a solid resume with with understanding of the law and the Constitution? It's just put a fundamentalist on there. We don't care if they're socialists. In fact, we want them to be extreme. Uh,
2: Yes. Now, look, we've talked in this podcast about how in the Senate Commerce Committee. Uh, in the past two months, I led the effort and successfully defeated two Biden nominees. Number one, Gigi Sohn to the Federal Communications Commission, and number two, Phil Washington to the to the FAA. Both of those, we were able to pick Democrats off. Now, the Commerce Committee is a very different committee. The Judiciary Committee, sadly, um, is is very partisan, and the Democrats there have rubber stamped. Look, we had a judge who hadn't yet been voted out of committee. Who didn't know what Article 2 of the Constitution is? Article 2 is literally what establishes the President of the United States in the executive branch. And this judicial nominee said, "I, I don't know the answer to that." That is someone who is patently unqualified to be, to be a judge. We have another judicial nominee who Chuck Schumer put forward to be a district judge in New York, who, who wrote how he is motivated every day by hatred for conservatives. He wakes up in the morning motivated by hatred for conservatives. This is not someone who should be a federal judge. And so I'm leading the fight against these nominees, but i got to tell you, I talk privately with my Democrat colleagues, and I ask them, I say, look, why is it so hard to stand up and say no, to say, you know what, judges ought to know what Article II of the Constitution is. A first-year law student, if you didn't know that, you would flunk constitutional law. Maybe a federal judge should know enough to pass con law. Um, or a radical from the SPLC, an organization that has been extreme, that has, is right now embracing Antifa terrorism. When I asked Democrats, I said, look, under the Constitution, the Senate has a role of advising and consent. That means you can say no. And to be clear, when Donald Trump was president— We confirmed a lot of fantastic judges, and I led the fight to confirm many of them. But there were some nominees that were not great nominees, that had problems. And I can tell you that I and others on judiciary pressed back against the Trump White House. Now, we usually didn't do so publicly. And I've told Democrats, I get you don't necessarily want to have a public fight with the White House about this. But I'll tell you, when Trump was president, I'd pick up the phone. Mike Lee would pick up the phone. We'd call the Trump White House and we'd say, look, This nominee is not up to stuff, and almost without exception, the White House would pull the nominee. That's the way to do it, and at least so far, no Democrats have had the chutzpah to to, to stand up and do that.
1: Yeah, it is sad to see, but also it's like they just say, we don't even care, just give me an activist on there, that's now what our job is. It's no longer about what they know or what they don't know. They'll figure that part out later. As long as they're an activist and they pledge allegiance to radical ideology, they're good enough for me. I want to tell everybody real quick about Patriot Mobile. If you're a conservative and you're sick and tired of giving your money to companies that don't stand and align with your values, you've got an option when it comes to your cell phone service. Now, 99% of you listening right now, are probably actually listening on a cell phone or through a cell phone and your speakers in your car. How would you like to know that every time you use your cell phone, every time you make a phone call, every time you send a text, and every time you pay that bill, you're actually making a difference setting up for the values you believe in? That's what Patriot Mobile does. They take a portion of your bill every month, give it back to conservative causes and organizations that stand up for First Amendment rights or Second Amendment rights, the rights of unborn children, even helping with adoptions in the post-Roe v. Wade world that we're in right now. If you want to have your dollars aligned with what you believe in, make the switch to Patriot Mobile. All you got to do is call them. You get to keep your same cell phone number if you want to. You can keep your same cell phone in your hand or upgrade to a new one. And usually they can actually save you money over what you're paying right now. 878-PATRIOT is the number. 878 8, Patriot. 878 8, Patriot or online at patriotmobile.com/slash verdict. That's patriotmobile.com/slash verdict. Lastly, Senator, I do want to get your reaction to uh, something else that's been interesting, and that is we've seen oil and gas prices going up. We've seen OPEC quietly announce they're going to uh, really reduce their daily uh, production of oil. We have also seen Democrats celebrating this, saying that, look, the higher the oil prices go, it benefits Biden's green agenda. You combine this now uh, with some of the data that's been coming out and, and on the price of electric vehicles that are going up this with biden's epa administrator michael reagan announcing new tailpipe emission standards here's what he had to say and this was very quiet take a
3: listen this week that's why today i'm pleased to announce that epa is proposing the strongest ever federal pollution technology standards for both cars and trucks Together, today's actions will accelerate our ongoing transition to a clean vehicles future, tackle the climate crisis head-on, and improve air quality for communities all across the country.
1: Now, Senator, that sounds great, finding Danny. But if you really want to put a real headline to this, what 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 the EPA administrator is announcing is he's forcing dealers and shoppers. To mostly either drive or to sell electric vehicles with technology, by the way, that's sourced from China, helping them become even more powerful. This is going to skyrocket the cost of electric vehicles for the average American as well.
2: Well, it, it is a radical position. It is following the position Gavin Newsom has taken in California. And Gavin Newsom really foreshadows all of the extreme radical policies coming from the Biden administration. This hurts consumers. This will drive up costs. This will drive up inflation. This will hurt jobs in the auto industry in particular. This will increase child labor and misery globally. And this will benefit many hostile countries, including in particular China. Now, let me back through each of those and and walk through it. So California has announced a mandate that by 2035, all new cars sold in the state must be electric, that no... uh, No internal combustion engines and new cars can be sold uh, starting in 2035. Now, what does that mean? Well, among other things, it means new cars sold in California must have at least two and a half times as much copper in them as conventional cars. Now, what does having two and a half times as much copper mean? Well, copper is something where in order to meet the, the demands of the Green New Deal for, quote, net zero. Globally, we're going to need to double the need for copper by the mid-2030s. So c- copper consumption doubling. Now, where do you find copper? If you look at crude oil, 40% of world crude oil supplies are found in three countries, the United States, Saudi Arabia, and Russia. Now, that's a good thing because we're one of the three, and, and under Trump, we became the number one producer worldwide of both oil and natural gas. Well, how about copper? Well, just two com- countries mine about 40 percent of the world's copper supplies. Peru, where the government right now is in utter disarray and the president was just impeached and arrested. And Chile, uh, who, who, whose government likewise is being pulled powerfully left. Now, that dynamic is, is problematic, but let's put on top of that uh, the reality that, that other rare earth minerals are also critical in electric cars. Cobalt, which is a, a, an essential element for electric vehicle batteries, comes in very significant parts. 70% of the cobalt produced on planet Earth comes from one place, the Democratic Republic of Congo, where massive mining operations exist along with small hand-dug mines, literally dug by hand, where they have both adults and children working side by side. Now, how, how, how about the China piece? Well, about 60% of the world's lithium, also critical to electric batteries, is processed in China. About 47% of the copper worldwide is smelted in China. How, mu- how much copper do you think the U.S. processes worldwide?
1: Uh, I, would, I would bet it's under 5% only just because we've done everything we can to shut down manufacturing in America.
2: Well, you're exactly right this time. It's 4%. We used to have more than a dozen copper smelters. Now we have two. Uh, and so the impact of this is enriching China, is benefiting child labor is driving up costs. And and what the Biden administration now has done is it has announced a mandate that two-thirds of all new vehicles and a quarter of heavy trucks sold in the U.S. have to be electric by 2032. This is going to drive up your costs. And by the way, if you're skeptical, you know, if you believe the Democrat and media talking point that, that, that these Green New Deal jobs are going to be great for car companies, let me read you from an analyst note on GM. And I'm just going to read it. This is an analyst that, that is analyzing GM, Gen, uh, General Motors, for people investing. We are initiating on, on General Motors a neutral rating, uh, because the above position GM well for the next decade of EVs, but a transition from a profitable 98% internal con- combustion engine portfolio to an EV portfolio 15 to 30% gross margin could, poses significant challenges. And, and I, I'm just going to read you, Uh, a a tweet from from Brian Sullivan on CNBC. I'm going to just read you the tweet. Analyst's note on GM, going from 98% profitable car sales to negative margins on EVs. Does that sound sustainable? Hello, $100,000 pickups. This is the Joe Biden Green New Deal. Drive up your costs, and make it unaffordable for you to provide for your family.
1: Yeah, it's also why this next election coming up is going to be so important because this is their game plan, and they don't care how much it hurts you, how much it hurts your family, how much it hurts the future of this country, how much it enriches, as you mentioned over and over again, China and weakens America uh, because with a weak America, uh, in my words, not yours, these Democrats uh, that are really, I think, communists, Uh, They know that they gain more power through doing things like this. Don't forget, we do this show three days a week, so make sure you hit that subscribe or your auto-download button wherever you're listening to the show right now. Don't forget, it. Right, hit that subscribe button, share it wherever you are on social media, hit that little forward arrow, the share button, uh, and share it there. And we will see you back here. Many people don't, I think, realize this, Senator, so I'm going to start saying this more uh, bluntly. We publish every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, uh, even when we are on vacation, we have been doing this show... Uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, when there's big news that breaks, uh, we will do a a special pod on other days if it doesn't fall on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So make sure you hit that subscribe so you know when every episode comes out. And we'll see you back here in a couple days.